podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In 1954, Pakistan toured England, and many felt that it was the moment of truth. The tour would show whether Pakistan could match their potential with performance. England needed 59 runs with eight wickets in hand at the Oval in 1954. And this wasn't just another ordinary England team. In the course of this series, there have been a lot of different kinds of England sides put up. Some teams beat second-string lineups while on tours. Others went England was resting key players. And there have just been a few weaker playing eras of English cricket that have coincided with another team getting good. None of this was the case for the team that Pakistan played. Post-war, there has probably never been a better English team than in this era. The English side was jacked. Len Hutton, Dennis Compton, Peter May, Brian Statham, Alec Bedser, Trevor Bailey, Johnny Wardle, Bob Appleyard, Jim Laker, Godfrey Evans and Frank Tyson would play in this series against Pakistan. Greats, freaks, tyros, they had it all. The 1951-1961 England team won 15 out of their 23 test series and 9 out of the 11 home series. And so in the middle of all this entered Pakistan. Barely a country at this point. Seven years earlier, it was part of India, which itself was a country in name only. Now Pakistan was a nation, which gave it some advantages over newer teams coming to test cricket. Pakistan weren't thrust into tests without preparation. The team had first-class players from India. They even had three test players before who had represented India, including their captain, Abdul Hafiz Kadar. But they were still a new side to this format of the game. But when they turned up, they arrived with perhaps one of the best weapons any team has had at the start of their journey. Fossil Mahmood. A year before, Fossil was training at Elf Gover School in London in 1953. He was also working for the police as a day job. When England regained the ashes after 20 years, Fossil was there, off duty. He cheered for England. He stepped out on the turf at the Oval with thousands of others as they celebrated. He looked up at Len Hutton on the balcony, and he was in awe. But Fossil was suave, good-looking, and had a wrist you could set your clock by. And against one of the best teams we've ever had in Test cricket, he made 59 runs with eight wickets in hand seem impossible. Here we are. Here is Hafiz. And may I, first of all, shake you by the hand? Thank you very much, man. Yes. I never thought when I interviewed you on Thursday night that I should be congratulating you on a victory, but it's a magnificent We never did anything about that. It's a wonderful game. Suddenly it swung in our favour. Welcome to Season 3 of Double Century. This series is dedicated to teams beating England for the first time. And Pakistan's journey is remarkable because of how quick it happened and how good their opposition was. Pakistan's entry to Test cricket was surprising and electric, which I suppose is what we'd expect. Pakistan arrived in England having not played a Test in nearly two years. Their only Test series was a five-match series against India at the end of 1952. Their first match, they lost by an innings and 70 runs. Utter embarrassment. The second match, they won by an innings and 43. That was their first test win in only their second ever match. Nazar Muhammad made a 515-minute 124 to get them around 300. Nazar would only ever play in that first test series and never again. And the reason is because he was having an affair with a film star, Nua Jahar, and her husband found them together in her hotel room. He threatened Nazar with a shotgun. Nazar jumped out of the window, broke his hand, and ended his cricket career forever. 
But before that, Nazar faced the first ball for them, scored the first 100, and was the first man to carry his bat through in innings. But as good as that knock was in a low-scoring match, the real star was Fuzzle Mahmood. There is just no way to tell the story of early Pakistan cricket and not making it about Fuzzle. Neil Harvey, the Australian legend, said that Fuzzle could make the ball talk. Others called him unplayable. He had a master's degree in economics, but perhaps the best lesson he ever earned was when his father would put a coin on a length just outside Ostar, and Fuzzle would only get to keep it if he could somehow hit it with the ball. Pakistan cricket team ke Mayanas bowler or captain Fazal Mahmood ki zindagi ke bare mein Pakistani cricketer Fazal Mahmood 18 February 1927 mein Lahore He was selected to play for India on their 1947-48 tour of Australia but changed his mind and it's worth here talking about partition People were uprooted from their origins 200,000 to 2 million people died 10 to 20 million people were displaced the Muhammad brothers, who will come up later, were from India. They moved to Pakistan. Lala Amanath grew up in Lahore, but would end up becoming an Indian legend. And at the same time, many Muslims like Fazal were travelling west. He was going east for cricket training camp. But on his way back home, he was on a train to Bombay, now Mumbai. And a Hindu mob intercepted the train. Their target was, amongst other Muslims, Fazal. But C.K. Nayadu was travelling on the same train, and he picked up a bat and stood between the mob and the young Fazal. Fazal returned safely, first to Bombay, and then Lahore. The fact that Fazal chose to play with Pakistan was quite a big deal. His reputation was so well known that it's often said that he was part of the reason that Pakistan received early test status. The Indian batters may have wished he stayed with them. In the first innings, he took a quality 5 for 52. But in the second test, the real magic happened. He didn't take the first wicket or the eighth. He took the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Later on, he'd take another one to end with 12 for the match. But Fuzzle aside, this was not seen as a quality team. Beating India was a bit like when an associate beats another associate at that time. And Pakistan hadn't played anyone else. So in 1954, they were touring England with a bunch of cricketers who no one had heard of before. Their consensus was, after their early games, that they were around the quality of an average county side. Of course, this is about a standard England response any time they think a touring team is poor. And the ICC were reluctant to grant test status to Pakistan. When England toured India in 1951-52, they did a detour of Pakistan as well. They played two matches against an all-Pakistan side, and Pakistan won the second match. And Fuzzle did well in that win, as did another player, Hanif Mohammed. but we'll get to him later. But it does mean in many ways they actually beat England even before they got test status. One thing that was clear when they were touring England, though, is that they definitely struggled in the field. They also didn't have great depth. Their best players were as good as anyone's, but they dropped off a bit after that, meaning their stars were exhausted from too much cricket. But they did not lose a lot of games on that tour, and they ended with nine wins, three losses, and 18 draws. But this being Pakistan cricket, there were obviously tensions around the leadership. And to make it even more confusing, that included a family connection with Fazal. The former Indian cricketer Abdul Hafiz Kadar was the leader, but Fuzzle believed that he had come back from his time at Oxford arrogant and full of himself. But Kadar had also taken over the captaincy from Mian Muhammad Saeed, Fuzzle's father-in-law. Saeed was the first captain of Pakistan, and he had a huge influence in the nation itself, not to mention that his son-in-law was the best player that his country had at that point. The first test was at Lords, and there was no cricket played on the first three days due to rain. 
When Pakistan did get out on the field, they were promptly scheduled for 87. Actually, promptly isn't the right way to put it. It took them 83 overs to make that score. One reason it took so long was their top scorer, who only made 20. But those 20 runs were in 3 hours and 15 minutes. That innings was by a 19-year-old called Hanif Muhammad, who I did mention briefly earlier, who was still just learning his own game. While the Pakistan score of 87 seems low, England didn't actually fare that much better. The All-Star lineup declared on 117 for 9, where Fuzzle took 4 wickets, but his bowling partner took the other 5. The two of them bowled unchanged. His partner was Khan Muhammad, a stunningly talented opening bowler who took 54 wickets in 13 tests. In this innings, he took 5 for 61, including the names of Len Hutton, Peter May and Bill Edrich. This was some amazing new ball combo, and yet in this series, Khan Muhammad played only in two tests. The reason was he had a Lancashire League contract, and that paid more than playing for Pakistan. Remember that when people talk about how T20 stops people playing for their nation now. Pakistan's second innings was 121 for three, which ensured the draw, with Hanif batting for another two and a half hours, meaning he batted for five hours in the test for only 59 runs. At Trent Bridge, there was no rain. The fast, off-cutting Bob Appleyard, a stunning bowling machine, made his test debut and took four for six in his first spell. Pakistan would make it to 161. When England batted, Pakistan dropped Dennis Compton, who went on to make a near run-a-minute 278. Pakistan played well in the second innings, but despite seven players making it to double figures and Hanif Muhammad and Maksud Ahmed both making 50s, they ended up six runs short of Compton's total. England won by an innings and 129 runs. Luckily for Pakistan, it rained again in Old Trafford. When it stopped, England made runs in the first innings and Pakistan did not. Hanif Muhammad made 32. The next high score was 13. And when they followed on, Alec Bedsa took three of his 1,924 first-class wickets and Pakistan were 10 for four after his opening spell. Luckily, it rained shortly after and in fact, it rained for the entire last two days. That meant that despite England's dominance so far in the series, they were only 1-0 up going into the final match. But England were just not worried about losing to Pakistan. They were already using the final test to groom players for their tour to Australia. They just didn't believe they had any reason to worry about Pakistan. And even the young players that they were bringing in to groom, like Frank Tyson, were incredible. So in this final test at the Oval, he took 4 for 35 as Pakistan had a 51 for 7 collapse. But they managed to put together 56 runs for the final two wickets as the numbers 9, 10 and 11 all made decent contributions. But they were still bowled out for 133. So it stumps on day one of the final test. Think about what had gone on for Abdul Hafiz Qadar, Pakistan's captain, so far. There was a lot of tension with his star player. He had a shaky batting lineup, an opening bowler who was off playing league cricket. The former captain keeping pressure on him. The English press spoke openly about how poor they thought Pakistan was. Even the Pakistani High Commissioner in England said, what do you expect from these people who need to be taught table manners? And Qatar did, in fact, have to teach some of his players how to use knife and forks. At this point, I suppose the entire experience had defeated him a little bit. After day one, he supposedly said, for God's sake, I cannot wait for this tour to finish and so I can go back home. And he was kept in this mindset a little bit longer because, again, there was rain and day two was a washout. But it also meant that the pitch was underwater, meaning that if they got it right on day three, they still had a chance. And they got it right on day three. It was, in fact, the seventh anniversary of Pakistan's independence. But it got a lot more special than that very quickly, as the ball was spitting off the wicket from the water damage the day before. 
And Fuzzle Mahmood bowled unchanged in the same kit he wore against India in Lucknow when he won that first test. 16 of his 30 overs were maidens. He also had almost as many drop catches, if you believe some people at the ground. And of England's first eight wickets, he takes six. Mohammed Hussein took four to clean up the tower, and Pakistan had a three-run lead. At one stage, Fuzzle deceived Len Hutton. Hutton had tried to flick one that moved away, edged, and was caught behind. Fuzzle had said that he picked up this trick at Elf Gover School a year before in England. With a small lead, Pakistan still had to make some runs, but luckily for them, they did have Hanif Muhammad, and this time he started as sprightly as he had all series. So far in this episode, I've talked about Hanif Muhammad a lot, but he hasn't made a lot of runs. But there is a reason that I keep mentioning him. Not long after this, he would go on to score a 970-minute 337 in a test match, most probably the longest innings ever recorded in test match cricket, just to get Pakistan a draw against the West Indies. And not long after that, he broke the first-class world record when he scored 499 runs. When Hanif Muhammad was set, there was no harder batter in the world to dismiss. But this wasn't that version at the Oval. This was still a teenager. In fact, they say that he grew three inches while he was on that tour. He would go on to be Pakistan's second-highest run scorer in the four tests, but with an average of 22. But on the tour itself, he would score over 1,600 runs, far more than the next best in his team. And in this innings, he had all of Pakistan's first 19 runs. Sadly, that's where his innings finished. And it didn't get much better as three Pakistani batters followed before the close. The next morning, four more disappeared quickly. And Pakistan had an 85-run lead with two wickets in hand, as left-arm spinner Johnny Wardle took seven wickets. But one of those batters was Wazir Muhammad, Hanif's brother, who in the first innings had been run out for a diamond duck. According to Anjum Nayaz, who told Usman Samiyadid for his book The Unquiet Ones that Wazir had been dropping catches and so Kardar decided to drop him for that final test. But the selectors outvoted Kardar, partly because they thought Wazir had actually faced Frank Tyson well against Northants. And Frank Tyson was, if not the fastest bowler in the world, then certainly one of. They needed someone who could face him. He would actually top the batting averages on that tour, that mostly threw cheeky not outs. And this was one of them. There is a great story from this innings that he was allegedly pretending that he had a bad injury on in his foot so that England would bowl fuller on a pitch where it was better to drop a bit shorter. Either way, he just batted for a long time. And so did Sulfikir Ahmed, the team's off-spinner, who made 34 in just under two hours. Wazir stayed longer, ending up unbeaten on 43 after two hours and 40 minutes. This meant that England had to chase 168 runs. They did have a slightly shallower batting lineup for this last test, but let me read off some numbers for you. Len Hutton, 40,140. Reg Simpson, 30,546. Peter May, 27,592. Dennis Compton, 38,942. And Tom Graveney, 47,793. 185,013 first-class runs is what the England top five would end up with combined at the end of their careers. At this point in their short history, Pakistan had only scored 3,231 test runs, and no Pakistani batter had over 600 test runs yet, and only six of the Pakistani players had what you would call significant first-class experience at all. Most of them were learning to play the game on this tour, and they were going up against absolute legends. Well, we played as a team as we had been doing, and mm -hmm. that's all I had to say, especially one man, Fuzzle Mahmood, has done wonderfully well for us, and I think if credit goes to one man for any team is Fazal Mahmood. And remember that only a year before, Fazal Mahmood was looking up at awe at Len Hutton. 
And this gulf between the two teams looked fairly obvious as England was strolling towards victory. But Hutton fell to fuzzle early. Simpson fell at 66 runs. So there was a chance, but that was before May and Compton passed 100 in relative comfort. And they were scoring quick, as had Simpson. And with the day coming to a close, it looked like England wanted to finish before stumps. They were a little bit worried about the weather and how it might affect the pitch on the next day. And Pakistan were just starting to think that the match was gone when Fuzzle claims to have demanded the ball. Allegedly, he said to Qatar, do you want to lose the match? And just after May passed 50, Fuzzle got one to stop on him and May hit it to Qatar at Gully. England was still on top, but they decided to send in Godfrey Evans to pinch hit ahead of Tom Graveney. Hutton wanted to get the win that day, and Evans was a hitter. Evans averaged 20 in his career, and he was a specialist keeper, arguably the greatest in the world at that point. But he could hold a bat. But something was a bit interesting about everything that happened here. Up until this point, all the great players always seemed to be on England's side, and Pakistan were just trying to keep up. Fuzzle bowling to Evans was the opposite of this. And just to prove how good Fuzzle was, this is from his book. I would change the line of the ball every now and again. For instance, I would bowl the leg cutter from the return crease, which was a wicket-taking ball. There was also a hidden in-swinger from the return crease, and an in-swinger from the middle of the crease, and an in-swinger from close to the stumps. I mean, you can tell from this just what a genius he was with the ball. Evans made three. Graveney finally came in and was out soon at the other end. Now England weren't trying to finish the game quickly. They were just trying to survive the day. Pakistan brought all their fielders around the bat. And then Fuzzle said to Qatar, what if I get Compton out? Qatar replied, then we win the match. Compton was soon caught behind for 29, and England's feared batting lineup was gone. And at stumps, England were 125 for 6, needing another 43 runs. Pakistan needed a quick strike the next day, and almost immediately dropped a catch. But soon they had Frank Tyson out. Sadly though, runs still trickled in, and that's all England really needed. Water was the danger, and also the man they had already dropped. He averaged around 20 in test cricket as well, and was certainly the wicket that Pakistan needed. This is when Kaldar moved the field at Fazal's request. And as the legend goes, this is what Fazal told Shujia Din. You put your right foot here, your left foot here, unfold your hands and stand ready for the catch. The ball will come right into your hands and you just grab it. And that is exactly what happened. Water was gone, and without another run added, Peter Loder was dismissed as well. Pakistan now needed one more wicket, but it would not be Fazal Mahmood this time. Instead, the ball was hit into the covers, and there was a 19-year-old there, who I've mentioned quite a few times. Hanif picked the ball up one-handed and threw down the stumps. Pakistan became the first, and still only, team to win a test on their maiden trip to England. Yes, and they're going for a run. It's been an early out. He's out. He's run out. He's run out, and Pakistan have won. And in their first nine test series, they would win three draw three, and lose three. It may remain the best start that any team has ever had to test cricket. And Fuzzle, he found himself up on that same balcony where he had seen Hutton a year ago, and he cried. It didn't always go that well. In true Pakistani style, after that first nine test series, they would win only one of their following 15, including the first ever test series loss to New Zealand. But when Fuzzle took wickets, they won matches. Later, he would take 13 in a match against Australia. In all, he took four 10-wicket hauls. And during his international career, which spanned from 1952 to 62, Pakistan beat every major team who would play them, except South Africa, who refused to play any of the non-white teams for racial reasons. Fuzzle was a Brill Cream model, 
an almost movie star, the coolest bloke on the film, and a great fast bowler. When you think of Pakistan cricket, it's generally their fast bowlers you think of. In cricket, there is no beast more captivating than a Pakistani fast bowler. I mean, it starts with the run. They're like beautiful predators, like the cheetah you want to catch the springbok. At the crease, there'll be some kind of a leap, and maybe leap isn't the right word. It's like a bound, caper, an escalation of joy. And then the ball comes out, so fast, with a mind of its own. The ball is now swinging around in any direction, left, right, up, down, the definition of chaos. The batters are powerless to resist, and so are we. Well, if that's how you've ever felt watching a Pakistani fast bowler, Fuzzle was there when it all started. He was patient zero for this. He was Pakistan's fast bowling paterfamilias. Pakistan beat England with a stylish fast bowler everyone wanted to be. A captain who didn't always have the support of his own change room, a near non-existent batting lineup, club cricket fielding, and having looked completely out of their depth for almost every minute leading up to the win. This is the team that sets itself on fire, but winks at you knowingly as it burns. This was Pakistan's first major win, and in some ways, this is all of Pakistan's wins. This team is everlasting, stylized chaos. Pakistan, Zindabad. There's Fuzzle, the vice-captain, and Kada. So happy. Little Hanif behind them, who threw down the wicket to run McConnell up. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. The link is in the show notes if you'd like to support us into the future. This show was written and narrated by me, Jared Kimber. It was co-written by Max Wiggins, who also did the original research. Additional research and fact-checking was by Abhishek Mukherjee. And our producer is Nick McCorriston. Thank you so much for listening. But if you do like this show, one of the best ways that you can help support us is just simply by sharing it on social media or rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast apps. If you like my work and want to follow it more, there is a link in the show notes to Linktree, which will show you where I do, I don't know, TikToks and Instagrams and YouTube and Twitter and other podcasts. Double Century is my podcast about the history of the game, but I have another podcast called Red Inca, which is on the current game. Come over and hear us talking about when Faf Duplessis is topless or why T20 cricket is broken. Red Inca can be found where you listen to your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.